Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good with Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. To the book of Galatians. We're starting a new set of messages today that is going to take us all the way through uh, the summer. It's something that we, we struggle with to know in this climate that we live in uh, when, like, are we okay to say that we're starting towards summer, or does it still feel like a little iffy? It was kind of, yeah, when I started writing this message, it was summer, and then now by the time we're sitting here, I'm feeling like a little guilty. Uh, I love the summertime. I love the summertime. When I was a kid, I loved going to summer camp. Uh, I went to a whole bunch of summer camps in all different places, um, in Canada, where my parents are from, the United States. I went to all kinds of summer camps. One of the things I always loved at summer camp is uh, all the like crazy games that you would play running around, getting into competition with people. And uh, the one that I probably liked the best, there was a lot of them. I loved playing Capture the Flag. Um, I loved playing all kinds of games that were really popular that probably like are illegal or would put you in prison now. Like the one where you like stuff all the marshmallows in your mouth or like, anyway, let's put that over there. The, uh, but I, probably my favorite one out of all of them was the tug of war. I don't know, did you ever do the tug of war? The tug of war is like, it's, it's beautiful in its simplicity. You line up a whole bunch of people on one side of one of those big thick ropes you know you'd climb like in gym class and you'd get the blisters all over your hand or you get like the rug burn all over your hand you line up a whole bunch of people on one side and then uh, a whole bunch of people on the other side and you would uh just pull to see who could pull like a flag or something in the middle all the way over if it was a really good spot there'd be like some water or a puddle that somebody could fall in and it would just be like this on the count of three one two three and then all of a sudden you're just pulling as hard as you can if you had like a really good tug of war team, you would like pull real hard for a few seconds, then everyone would just let it go and all the people on the other team would fall down. That was a good one. But uh, the beauty of the tug of war is it's simple. You're just pulling one direction and the other and whoever can pull the strongest eventually wins. There was also always like that one guy, I don't know if you had this guy in your life, the guy who wore the, sh he would always wear shorts like year round. He was usually like a lineman on the football team. He probably played like the tuba in the band and he would like go to the end of the line and tie the rope around his body. He was the big guy. Did anyone know that guy? Yeah, yeah, okay, Ken, you probably were that guy. Yeah, I understand. So, simple game. Whoever can pull the hardest wins, right? And uh, we're good, thanks, Jake. I uh, feel as I am living life, I feel like I'm in a tug of war a lot of times. This push, this pull, this uh, what's stronger? Uh, is my faith stronger? than all the bad habits that I've cultivated over time? Is the faith that I believe in when my mind is clear stronger than the ways that I start thinking when I'm not in my healthiest place? That's what I wanna teach you a little bit about today. Uh, this is Galatians chapter five. I wanna read 13 verses to you starting in verse 13. Please look along with me. You can read on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But trick you do, because you could get one in the row in front of you. It says this, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, 
watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and the desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The key verse there in that text was the one that I honed in on the most. Uh, Verse 17 was about the fourth one down in there. It says, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There it is. You see it? That's the tug of war that I'm talking about. So there's this war inside of you there. The flesh, that's the inherent, intuitive parts of who I am. That's not just my sin nature. That's the way that I act when I'm tired. It's the way that I act when I'm not thinking my best. The flesh is the physical part of me. And the spirit is the part of me that is hopefully increasingly becoming new in Christ. Those things are, this text says, at war against each other because they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. I don't know what kind of uh, background that you had, but oftentimes us Midwesterners, if you identify with that, a lot of the people in the room here, we have this kind of, bootstraps, hard work can solve anything, like, you know, just spin on it and run back out on the field, you're fine kind of vibe. And most people would hear this verse that I just read you that, like, it makes it so that I don't do the things that I want to do. And they'd be like, well, no, no, no. If you, like, really wanted to do the spirit things, the right things, the wise things, you would just buck up and go do them. You would Put on your big boy pants and go be strong. We have this like thing in our intuition that tells us that it isn't really true that we don't or we struggle to do the things we want to do. What it ends up feeling like to us often is more like we don't really want to do them. It's like a trick we're playing on ourselves, and that's why we fail. This is going somewhere really important. Uh, The word there in that verse uh, is this Greek word, the word that's translated to want. And what it means is not just the surface level, but what's down really, really, really deep. If you've ever been around someone who struggles with addiction, or if you've ever been honest enough with yourself about the patterns of behavior that you have that maybe are a little more sanitized because you've been in church a long time, we are in a tug of war all the time between what we really want in our deepest heart and the places that our sin nature and our weak flesh are pulling us. If we can't be honest there, then uh, I have nothing else for you today. So I hope we can be honest there. 
I have three observations from this text to talk about, because uh, that's what we're going to talk about this summer quite a bit, is uh, this tug of war that we're stuck in. Uh, so I have three observations from this text I want to share with you that I think might help us as a way of starting. The first one is this. Um, neither legalism nor license can help me win the tug of war. I see it there in verse 13 that I read to you a moment ago. I see it also there in verse 18. In verse 13, Paul says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then he says in verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So when he says there, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, what he's saying is some people hear the message of grace, the message that there's nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God. And no matter what you do, Jesus' blood is good enough. And some people, in their instinct or their intuition, get this, like, well, then we're on easy street then. Like a, a trust fund college kid holding a parent's credit card. None of it matters, so why not just keep on swiping? But then the other side, verse 18, he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Why is that important? Because many religious people... Many folks who like coming to church and come to the early service and are committed and give and serve and get out. Many people there aren't struggling with the, I'm on a free roll. They're struggling with the, I'm just going to keep on following all these rules. Rules, 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 rules. And neither one of these ways of thinking can make any meaningful dent in helping me win the tug of war between what I really want and the person I actually am. A couple definitions that'll help us. Legalism first. Legalism refers to an excessive focus on following a strict set of rules, laws, or religious practices as a means to attain or maintain salvation, righteousness, and spiritual growth. Legalists often prioritize adherence to the letter of the law over the spirit or intended purpose of the law and may judge others based on their conformity to these rules. Legalism leads to self-righteousness, pride, and a lack of grace and mercy in interpersonal relationships. Maybe you were raised like this. Maybe you were raised with the idea that we're just going to add uh, a set of rules around the rules just to be safe, and then we're going to set another set of rules around those sets of rules just to be like triple safe. Maybe you were raised in a way that uh, external conformity is the way that we prove that we love God. Uh, you know, we don't smoke or chew or go with, go with girls that do. Yeah, perfect. Okay, a couple people. We got a couple witnesses there. Thank you. Yeah. That this, like, uh, and the problem with legalism, what Paul's pointing at here, just trying to follow the rules fails because most often when a person then figures out that they can't follow the rules perfectly, all of the breaking stuff, all of the broken stuff just goes underground, and now I have to hide it because if anyone knows that I'm struggling, then the whole thing falls apart. And you may have been in church in your life where you'd, be like, you'd find out, like, wait, that person who was there, like, every single Sunday standing, like, right there in that row, and they were this, and they were this, and now all of a sudden you find out this whole set of things that was a secret life that they had. And the reason why that so often happens to people who focus on rules is because there is no ability to be weak or to struggle or to even admit that it's a battle when all that matters is showing up at church and looking like we've got it all together. 
But on the other hand, Paul talks in the same passage, he's also talking about license, which refers to a disregard for moral or spiritual boundaries. It's often a result of misunderstanding or misapplying the concept of grace. It's the belief that my actions don't have any consequences or that forgiveness and salvation allows for unrestrained indulgence in sinful behavior. License can lead to a permissive attitude towards sin, a lack of self-discipline, and the neglect of personal and communal responsibility and spiritual growth. Most of the people in our world today are not struggling with legalism. Most of the people in our world today look like what I just read. Legalism focuses on I'm following rules. License focuses on I'm following feelings. Paul says here, if you are led by the Spirit, verse 18, you're not under the law. Uh, If you've read your Bible in any substantive way, you might have read the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the whole thing, there's all these great stories, you know, about like the killing the giant and the whales and the color coats and all these like cool things that are amazing and interesting. But the whole Testament really has one point. And the point is, no matter how hard you try, you can't follow the rules. And so you really, really need a savior. That's the whole point of the whole thing. It's like this generation of people tried and they failed. And this generation of people tried and they failed. And this generation of people didn't really try at all and they still failed. You can't follow the rules no matter how hard you try, you need a savior. And then like, whoa. Jesus Christ shows up on the scene and he's the savior. Amazing. So you can't follow the rules well enough to win the tug of war. Okay, so now let's just try to get practical for a sec before we get to the next part. Your tug of war may be anxious thoughts that you battle all day long. Your tug of war may be an incredible jealousy that you feel towards people around you who have more than you do financially. Your uh, tug of war may be an incredible sense of hurt and anger about a betrayal that you've been through, that if you let yourself, you'll think about it all day long and start thinking about all the things you want to do to hurt this person. You, You can't just tell yourself, I just won't think about it. I just won't think about it. I made a rule. I just won't think about it. It's not healthy to think about it. I just won't think about it. And I'm just going to stand here. I'm just going to not think about it. I'm just not going to think about it. No, I'm thinking about it. No, no, I'm doing it. But on the other hand, you can't just run into the stuff that is broken and like, then it's just fine. So we're going towards the solution here. Second thing, observation from this text. Daily process, not momentary crisis, is the only way to win the tug of war. Environments like we're in right now in a church where we can be really good at saying, it's time to start again. It's, it's time to go back to the start. It's time to forgive that person. It's time to kick that habit. It's time to do something. And then maybe, maybe you've done this plenty of times in your life. You've walked an aisle. You've knelt down. You've prayed a prayer. You've done all kinds of things to say, I'm putting a stake in the ground and I'm going forward different than here. And that's a good thing, but it's not enough. I mean, I, I've been through this so many times. I remember one time, uh, just as an illustration, like, I remember one time uh, I was teaching at a youth summer camp, and this sweet teenage girl came up to me and said, I feel like I'm using boys as a crutch in my life, and so I promised God last night that I'm going to go a whole year and I'm not going to date any boys. I said, cool, that's wonderful, that's great, oh, that's awesome. And then I was, like, walking on the bus on the way home, like, 18 hours later, and she was, like, holding hands with some new fellow that she had. <laughs> It doesn't mean that the moment of crisis wasn't real. It means that the gap for most of us 
is the daily process of working things out. This is what Paul is getting at in the text that I read to you, three verses, I'll put them all on the screen, where he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Second verse, he says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Third verse, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The Bible does this over and over. It emphasizes what it is like to try to win this tug of war as a walk. Uh, I love to walk. If you ever come within like a mile of this building, any time or day of the week, you may find me wandering, talking on the phone. It's like my favorite thing to do. It makes me feel like my coffee habit is justified because I walk to go get it all day long. Uh, why, does the, why does the concept of a walk help us in understanding what it's like? That's great. All those little kids were just in here a minute ago, and soon they're going to learn to walk. So just by show of hands to help us, who's ever been around a young person, a young child that was learning to walk? Show of hands. Come on, help me, help me, help me. Okay, so at the beginning, very humorous how bad they are at walking, right? <laughs> There's like that thing where it's like their legs look like they're made out of rubber, and they're kind of like flopping all around, and that goes for however long it goes. It's always my favorite, by the way, the parents that like brag that their kid is walking, like you know, two weeks before some website, things are just really like, oh, we're ahead of schedule, we're ahead of schedule. We're so impressed. Wow, congrats. <laughs> My kids already knew Spanish before they were one years old. I mean, I'm just saying, no. Whatever. Anyways, enough. Everybody's trying their best. Let's stop bragging. But then all of a sudden, one day, they learn to walk. And then, like, how many remedial classes do they need after that? Once you learn to walk, I mean, you're just, right now, I'm thinking about right now, like right now this second, I'm thinking about the time that I have left to finish this message, all the things that I want to say, all the people's faces that I'm excited to see and people that I don't know, and there's all kinds of thoughts running through my mind right now, hundreds of them, not one of them is make sure you put your left foot down right now, make sure you put your right foot right down, bend your knee, put the foot down. It never comes to our mind. Why? Because we do so much walking, it eventually becomes as intuitive and obvious to us as taking a breath. It is like the most obvious thing that we do in our lives and if we choose day by day by day by day to live with the Spirit of God and abide with him, winning the tug of war, the difficult fights that we're fighting every day, can become as intuitive and obvious and easy to us as it is to take another step. And the reason why we fail is because we often get caught up on the crisis. Just put those verses back up for me for one second. Thank you, Nick. So we get caught up in the moment of feeling something and promising something and neglect the process, ongoing process, day by day. The, verse, uh, the, the words there in Greek, each one of them, is the idea of a continuous or ongoing action. You are not led by the Spirit once and then totally fine. You are led by the Spirit in an ongoing and beautiful way. Uh, and so, what do we do? What do we do then? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? The answer can't just be promise more. The answer can't just be like, what am I going to send you home and say, just read the Bible more and pray more and everything's going to be fine? Some of us have tried that. It's a tough one. I think that leads us to the third observation that I have, I think, from this text. I hope it'll be helpful. Three, in the tug of war, cultivating virtue 
not evading wickedness is the key to winning the tug of war. So Paul says this. I, I imagine Paul as being a very like, intense person by the way that he writes. And so he just starts making a list. Verse 19, he says, now, the works of the flesh, the, the evil stuff, the bad stuff, the sinful stuff, they're evidence. They're obvious, right? They're obvious. And then he just goes like, let's see if I can do them all in one breath. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. His point is, the evil things, they're obvious things. They're obvious things. They're obvious things. A lot of them are the things that we do with our bodies against what God wants. A lot of them are the ways that we treat each other that are against what God's want. And you can kind of see in the list they're increasing in their intensity and frequency. But then he says, but, but the fruit of the Spirit. So he says, the, the things of this world, the flesh stuff is obvious. He says, I warned you before, those that do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, the fruit of the Spirit, well, that's obvious too, right? Love and joy and Peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. These are the things that everybody likes. Uh, my new friend here, Purnell, is one of my new friends I've made this year. He's in the front row. And every time I see him, he's in a really good mood. Uh, so much so that when I first met him, I was kind of like, ah, I don't know. A little suspicious. He might be hiding something. A little sketchy. I don't know. He might be like a drug dealer or something. So nice. I don't know. And now, no, was that too honest? Okay, so, <laughs> but now I've gotten to know him well, and he's overflowing with real joy, not because of the absence of difficulty, but because of walking by the Spirit. And you never meet someone, you're like, you know what I hate about that person? They're so joyful. What's his deal? He's so kind, like, what's he saying? He's saying that the fruit that overflows from someone who walks in the Spirit is obvious, and it's the stuff that everybody likes to be around. And the work of the flesh is obvious, too. He makes a couple points here that are really important as we're finishing. One, I'll just leave this because it's important and it's in this text. Unrepentant participation in evil shows a lack of genuine faith. He says here, the people who do things like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that mean that if you've ever, like, made one of the choices on that list, that it's impossible for you to know Jesus? Of course it doesn't mean that. What it means is that people who live in darkness and feel no guilt about it, in fact, feel proud about it, in fact, can't wait to tell you how great it is out there and live their whole life like that, it's impossible for them to be a person who also knows Jesus at the same time. But then he makes the better point, I think the important point, that the fruit of the Spirit is the opposition of the work of the flesh and that rather than focusing and fixating on trying to carve the negative bad stuff out, if we focus on building the good stuff, that has a way, and that's the way to take us the way that we want to go. This is the point that I came to make today, and I hope that I can help you with it here. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way I thought it was beautiful. Fruit is always the miraculous, the created. It is never the result of willing, but always a growth. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift of God, and only he can produce it. They who bear it know as little about it as the tree knows of its fruit. They know only the power of him on whom their life depends. I don't know why. Uh, I think marriage is a helpful 
illustration here. So a healthy marriage has a lot of components to it. A healthy marriage has good communication. A healthy marriage has a physical relationship. Uh, a healthy marriage has shared goals and values. A healthy marriage has fun. And it takes all of those things to make a healthy marriage. And sometimes when it gets difficult, people think that the way through the difficult is to just keep talking about the difficult. We're just going to sit here at this table, no matter how miserable we are, till we figure this thing out. And we're not going to have one second of fun or joy or even smile. We're just going to look like... And what he's saying here is that the overflow of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is a gift that God gives you that drowns out the darkness. In the same way that uh, healthy people who are new in your life replace the sadness of unhealthy people that you need to put away, the fruit of the Spirit is what comes into your life as you daily walk with God. It's not something that you choose. So you can't just say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave in here. I'm just, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to be more peaceful. I'm just not going to watch the news anymore. The news is bad and it makes everybody miserable. Can I get a witness? I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to spend one minute thinking about that presidential election for the next year and however long till it comes. I'm just not going to think about it for one second. I'm just going to find out later what happened. I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just not going to think about it. That way of solving the flesh does not work. Only saying I refuse to do the bad does not work. Only when the bad habit, the bad sin, the difficult thing, the work of darkness, it has lots of different terms, only when it is replaced by the fruit that comes from daily walking with God does the bad go away. I know this is a complex topic, but I promise if you don't get this in a year, you're going to be with, struggling with the same stuff. And if you don't get this in three years, five years, ten years, you're still going to be struggling with the same stuff. It answers this question that I've been trying to figure out for a long time. Maybe you've had this question too. If time with God cultivates the fruit of the Spirit, that's what I've been saying, why are so many people who've spent decades in Bible studies so unloving and unkind? Anyone ever wondered that? Anyone ever thought that before? Am I the only one? Okay, well, that's good. All right. Yeah, thank you, Jack. Thank you, Jack, with the Hawaiian shirt in the front row. Yeah, I... It's because the answer to this question is answered in this text. And the answer is, you can be thinking about God without being with God. You can be, like, reading the Bible and not letting it impact your heart. You can stand in a worship service where, like, at one point there, like, when Kim was growling at us and it got, like, really exciting during the singing today, it was like, and you can just let all that wash over your head and mean nothing to you. Being here doesn't mean that you met with God. You could easily, I don't know if you're going to spend time with your mom today. Uh, I hope you get the chance to if she's here and around and you're able to. You can be in the same room as your mom without being with your mom. And what a lot of people do is they settle for being adjacent to God or people who kind of know God and being near it 
and then they wonder why they never grow or they never change or they say stuck, 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 stuck. And the reason is because only those who walk with the Spirit can win the tug of the war. The good choices that I make are outward evidence of inward delight in Jesus. Do you see it? Uh, So I was actually thinking I wanted to be really honest, so I made a list because I want to uh, help us. So for me, here's some tug of wars that I'm facing myself personally. Uh, I feel anger often about things that have happened in the past, and sometimes those are more motivating to me than anything positive around me. I have a pattern of overeating to mask when I feel unhappy about things. I sometimes have a huge selfishness in wanting the benefits of a stable family while making my wife do more than her fair share of the work to attain it. These are things that I'm battling back and forth. And I am so tired of dealing with the same things in myself. I would give like my next three paychecks to just have whatever your sin problems are for a while. Maybe they're even worse than mine, but just like I'm just tired of looking at my same old problems and my same old struggles and my same old difficulties. And why we can be so hard on ourselves, right, is like uh, we see what's inside of ourselves way more. Don't worry, he's in the band. He's not coming to hurt me. (laughs) We see our struggles in ourselves so much more vividly than we see them in other people, right? And I don't know about you, but I decided this summer I want to get to work on climbing to a new place and trying to let God really heal, solve, build some things that I've been struggling with for a long time. So I thought we'd just go around the room and you can make a little list and each person could just say the ones. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. I promise. Just You could put one together in your head, I'm sure. So promising I'm going to do better is a promise to stay the same. If it is not, if not added with it, is a day-by-day-by-day-by-day process. So I'll just throw out some things. We're going to talk about this a bunch in the weeks to come. Uh, If you fill your mind all day with the influence of the world, Your mind is not filled with enough of the Spirit for you to have any spiritual power to overcome. If the only time you hear the Bible is when you're in this room, you're going to have no spiritual power to overcome. If the people in your life are going an opposite direction than you're going, or you're wanting to go, you're going to stay just the same. These are obvious things, but they're true things. So I wonder, are you just going to stay the same? Like, is this it? So you've kind of made it as far as you're going to make it? Like, so I'm looking around the room. You've got 20 years left, 30 years left, 40 years left, 50 years left. Is this it? Like, all the character you're going to develop, all the sin you're going to carve out, all the fruit that God wants to grow in you, are you satisfied? Or are you willing to believe that God wants to do more in you? 
Anyway, I wanted to get us started on that for this summer. Kristen's coming now to, uh, she has a little Mother's Day meditation. I'll just say the things now while she's coming on your way out. We have a little gift for all the moms. There's a table out here and a table out here. She's going to talk about this. We have a great setup. You can take a family picture. It will be Instagram beautiful. We have a wonderful photographer here. We would love for you to do those things. Kristen. Well, um, I have been pondering um, the many different seasons of motherhood, and the image that kept coming to my mind as I thought about it was a plant. Often motherhood starts as a seed that is planted in the heart of a woman with the desire for a child to love and nurture. What a gift that is when it springs forth. If I'm being honest, in Mother's Day past, well, including today, I've dreamt of a day free of tantrums and timeouts, tears and fighting. Mother's Day for the mom that is in the thick of it has hopes and dreams of free time, yes. But the beauty in the se that season is that the mother has the ability to plant seeds constantly. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So I encourage you to keep planting the seeds. The beauty in the seeds is that inevitably some of them will bloom in due time. But some mothers have planted plenty of seeds, and yet what feels minute to them is their faith. They've prayed endless prayers for their children. They are waiting to see them bear fruit. They're wanting to them to live by faith, for them to see the peace and joy found in Jesus, and yet from the seat that they find themselves in, it seems unlikely. But what I want to remind you today is from the mustard seed of faith that's found in Matthew 17, 20. Jesus said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I encourage you today, if you're in that season, to keep laying that tiny mustard seed of faith at his feet every morning and keep trusting that his purposes will prevail. But often in mothering, we wonder the question, when? When will happen? When will I know what to do? <laughs> and I love the scripture in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 that says, God gives the growth. The truth is, is as much as the faithful planting and watering matters, God determines when the seeds you've planted and nurtured grow. He is all-knowing and all-powerful. Genesis 16, 13 says, he is the God who sees you. I encourage you today to keep trusting in his timing. I remember when we, went, when we lived in California, there was this awesome park that we would go to that had these trees with these humongous roots. They stored the trees' necessities that they could flourish in on days without rain and intense sunshine. And the truth is, is that roots matter. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but sometimes as mothers, we live in all the fear of the what-ifs. I want to encourage all the women today to keep trusting the Lord. Whether it feels like you are in a season of drought or of plenty, to walk in unwavering trust because of your faithful and good God. I encourage you to keep 
tending to your roots of faith and giving your anxieties to God. As a, as a mom, I'm a mom of four, and yet I need lots of tangible reminders or else I am going to forget. And so today, there's a little plant in the coffee room for each of the mothers. It's to remind you of these promises, to keep planting the seeds, keep giving your mustard seed of faith, trust in his growth timing, and keep leaning into the Lord. We're so thankful for each of the mothers that are here at Good News this morning, and we hope that this will be an awesome day for you. We, we love you. That was wonderful. Come on. Why don't you stand your feet? This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.